0: Today's reading is from 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, starting at verse 17, going through to chapter 3, verse 13. But, brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that you would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you, and that our labours might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father Himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May He strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Before I start, let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the living word, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is among us now. And we pray that, God, you would open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear what it is you want to speak to this church. And help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. God, give us a heart of obedience to know that your ways are better and that what it is you are calling us to do, you will help us. So we just commit this time to you right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, there's a story of an old man who was sitting by a river and he was meditating. Then he saw a scorpion floating on the water. And when the scorpion drifted near the old man, he reached to rescue it, but then the scorpion stung him. A bit later, he tried again, and he was stung again. Now, the bite was swelling his hand painfully and giving him much pain. Then a young man passed by, saw him, and he yelled at the mediator. He said, old man, what is wrong with you? Only a fool would risk his life. To save that creature. Don't you know you could kill yourself trying to save an ungrateful scorpion? The old man, he calmly replied. He said, my friend, just because it's in the scorpion's nature to sting. That doesn't change my nature to save. In our text today, Paul is revealing His true nature in wanting to care for this church that he and his co-missionaries, Timothy and Silas, had planted. And again, I want to remind you of just where we are in our studies today in 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 1, we saw Paul praising the Thessalonian church for their faith and for their love and for their hope in the gospel. And then in chapter 2 we find Paul vindicating himself against critics, people who were attacking his authenticity, telling the Thessalonian church that Paul and his friends had left them and abandoned them to suffer persecution because they didn't love them. And the reason Paul hasn't returned back to Thessalonians is because he didn't care for them. So in our text today, what we're going to see is how Paul truly cared for this Thessalonian community. And in doing so, we're going to hopefully see what are the marks of a caring church. So the marks of a caring church is what we're going to see in our text today. Here are my first three, here are my three points. Marks of a caring church is a desire to be together and secondly the marks of a caring church is a desire to be selfless and finally the marks of a caring church is a desire to pray fervently for one another so desire to be together Look at what he says in verses 8 to 9. He says, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, but not in thought, it was out of our intense longing that we made every effort to see you. Now notice the language that Paul is using here. He says in verse 17, out of our intense longing." we made every effort to see you. The word longing Paul uses here could also be translated as desire. And it is a word that is frequently used in the New Testament to refer to lust. And we often think of lust in a negative sense. But here Paul uses that word in a pure sense to refer to a strong emotional desire For something good. And in this case, it was his desire to be amongst the Thessalonian community. And what we see is that despite Paul's abrupt departure from the Thessalonian community, he hadn't moved on from them. He hadn't forgotten them. Paul and his companions had been involuntarily taken away from them. They were forced to flee the city, remember, under the cover of night for their safety. And listen to how he describes that experience. He describes it as suddenly being made orphaned, which is an interesting word choice for Paul to use here, to describe that experience as being an orphaned experience. But he chooses this word to express not just the separation, but also the deep pain that goes along with that. This word in its original meaning has the sense of a child that is being violently abducted or kidnapped. Or the other image this word conjures up is that of a child who is kicking and screaming because they don't want to be separated from their parents. And I'm sure many of you have experienced that or at least seen that at some point. Just recently, I was on the tube and there was this lovely family that was sitting right across from me. And they had what looked like a three or four year old boy who was sitting next to his parents, just playing uh, 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 quietly on his mom's phone. But the moment that his dad got up to get off at London Bridge, I mean, the child became inconsolable. He was kicking and screaming to the top of his lungs, Daddy, Daddy, don't leave. Oh, Daddy, come back. And poor mom, she was just trying to do everything that she could to keep this child calm and and, and, and subdued. It was heartbreaking. And I remember it took me back to our days in New York City when Iola used to do the same thing to Angela and I. I mean, we dreaded getting on the subway together as a family because the moment one of us got off, Iola would just go all in with the crime. And we found ourselves like trying to stuff her face with candy and Cheetos just to try to keep her quiet. But nothing worked. Because he was experiencing extreme separation anxiety. That's the emotion that Paul is describing here. That is what he was saying that he felt like when he had to leave the Thessalonians. He describes that experience as an extreme separation anxiety that a child feels when it's divorced from his parents. And what's funny about this is that last week, you remember, Paul, he talked about being a mother to them. And then he talked about being a father to them. And now he says he was like a child to them. So what we see Paul doing here is he's using the most powerful family type metaphors to possibly to to metaphor possible to describe this intense love. That he has for them. Because that's how he views the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were his family. And he even dressed them. In verses 17. As brothers and sisters. See I believe that Paul is using this language. Because he realizes. That when a person comes to faith in Christ. They are now part of God's family. We then become brothers and sisters in the faith. And this is what Jesus taught. Remember in Matthew 12, 46, Jesus says, who is my mother? And who is my brother? It's those who do the will of my father in heaven. The church is family. That is what partnership, that is what we were talking about earlier. That's what partnership is all about. It's brothers and sisters doing life together, co-laboring in the gospel with one another. And families should have a desire to be amongst each other, to get together often. I know, I know that there are usually difficult members in the family, people whom you'd rather not have interaction with. Families aren't perfect. Because they're usually made up of different characters with different personalities, which is oftentimes a recipe for chaos. And you would know that if you went to one of my family reunions back home in Chicago. And maybe you've experienced that either in your family or in church. But at the end of the day, your family should be a place where you're accepted just because of who you are, not because of anything deserving that you've done. Not because of how special you are, because in the family of God, none of us are deserving of the grace and the love of God. None of us. The church is a family of misfits united by the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we love because he first loved us. We forgive because we have been forgiven. And sometimes to do both takes courage. It takes conviction. And it takes a supernatural kind of grace so the Thessalonians were Paul's spiritual family, and he desired to be with them. He said, look, i made every effort to come and see you face to face, meaning that we did all we could to make a reunion with you possible. But every time we tried to return to you, we were hindered. He says, Satan blocked our way. You see, their attempts to return were so great that Paul could only explain them by recognizing the satanic activity behind it. Now, we don't know how Paul knew that it was a satanic attack, and we don't know the exact nature of the satanic obstruction, but we can speculate that maybe the attack were more threats that were levied against Paul, or perhaps it was a physical illness that Paul was struggling with. Paul does talk about a thorn in his flesh, some kind of physical ailment that was inflicted on him by Satan in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. We don't know for sure what this was, but what we do know It's that Paul saw that this church, even though it was thriving in the things of God, was also under spiritual attack. And for some reason, Satan was blocking his way from getting to them. And what we see here is that Satan will do all he can to keep believers from meeting together, especially when the desire to meet with the people of God is there. He will put roadblocks in our way. And when you're faced with one roadblock after another and getting to be with the people of God, then it's probably safe to assume that it is spiritual warfare. That Satan is keeping you from being amongst the people of God because he's keeping you from being encouraged and strengthening. He's keeping you from strengthening and encouraging your brothers and sisters. Maybe your roadblocks is your job. Maybe it is a sickness. Maybe it's some domestic problems at home. But here's what I want you to remember, that although Satan may hinder God's people He cannot defeat God's people. When Satan puts obstacles in your life to keep you from meeting with your church family, you can do what Paul did. You can refuse to be intimidated and discouraged. Instead, you can, verse 17, maintain your great desire and longing and make every effort that you can to return. Obstacles are only temporary hold-ups until they are overcome. And thanks be to God who causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Eventually, God will remove whatever barriers are keeping you from desiring fellowship with the people of God. And then secondly, we see That Paul's care for the Thessalonians led him to act selflessly. You see, it's been said that when you love someone, you would do anything to see them succeed. And sometimes that's even putting their interests above your own. Now, that's an interesting notion for a lot of people, especially today, especially in our highly individualized post-Christian culture. Why would I put others' needs above my own? What is merit in that? Wouldn't that just make people take advantage of you? And Couldn't that lead to low self-esteem and a lack of self-respect? Look, if the intentions is to appear moral, an altruistic, then yes. But if the driving force behind one's altruism is love, then the answer is no. Paul loved and cared for the Thessalonian community and he was concerned for them. He saw the threats that they were facing and he wanted to get back to them. The problems were the barriers. And so he says in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 1, that when we could stand it no longer, translation, when we got fed up with all of the opposition, he said we thought it best to send Timothy, who was our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. Now, I want you to think about this. Paul's choice to send Timothy is noteworthy because it reveals just how much Paul loved and cared for the Thessalonians. In verse 2, Paul, in chapter 3, verse 2, Paul refers to Timothy as his brother's, uh, as, as as his brother and, and co-worker in the gospel of Christ. Now, this reference indicates that Timothy was particularly important and useful to Paul in ministry. Much of what Paul was able to accomplish was because he had someone like Timothy co-working with him and co-laboring with him in the gospel. Now catch this. Paul's love and concern for the Thessalonians was so great that he was willing to part with one of his key co-laborers to make sure that this church had all it needed to succeed which was a sign of Paul's authentic love and care for this community. Him him sending Timothy was his way of saying, I am willing to part with one of my key companions in ministry, one of my most trusted co-laborers in the gospel to make sure that you are strengthened and encouraged in your faith. This is Paul living out the Philippians 2-4 principle of putting others' needs Above his own, he needed Timothy. But he realized that this church needed Timothy more. And what we can learn from Paul is that a church that is willing to make sacrifices in order to see others grow in their faith is a mark of a caring church. Brother, you're struggling. I'm there for you. Sister, you're going through a hard time. Doesn't really matter what's on my plate. I'm there. We're in the trenches together because I love and I care for you. And I want to see God's best for you. I want to see you coming out of this place of darkness and isolation and struggle. And I am willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that you become the person, the man, the woman that God is calling you to be. I will sacrifice my time. I will sacrifice all of the things that I have set on my agenda to make sure that you're okay because I care for you. Because I love you. You See, when people are willing to be interrupted and inconvenienced because they see another brother or sister in need, that is a mark of a caring church. And then finally, a caring church is one that prays fervently for one another. So we read that Timothy has just returned from his time in Thessalonica. And he brings Paul and Silas this good news that the Thessalonian church, despite the opposition they experienced, they are standing firm in the Lord. Verse 8. And so Paul reacts to this good news of their faith with thanksgiving and with joy. Look at verse 9. He says, how can we thank God? Enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you. I love this. Because it is out of an overflow of joy and thanksgiving for what God is doing within this church that Paul prays for this community. Paul is going to pray three prayers in these last few verses. Now notice the structure of the prayer. It starts with a desire like may. And it is followed by a subject which is God. So three times he does this. Look at verse 11. He says, may God, our father and Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 12. He says, may the Lord. And then verse 13, may he, may he God. And in all three of these prayers, Paul is expressing his desire that God would intervene and work on behalf, that God would do something for this Thessalonian community. And the first thing we notice about this prayer is the timing. Notice how frequently Paul says he prays for this church. Verse 10, he says, night and day we pray earnestly for you. Paul is not saying that he prays 24 hours for this church nonstop. But what he is saying is that when the sun rises to when the sun sets, this church is on his mind and he is fervently, passionately, and purposely praying for this church. And then notice what he prays. Verse 10. That God will remove all opposition and barriers to them, seeing the Thessalonians again. Why? Why? So he can complete what is lacking in their faith. Paul is not implying that the Thessalonians are losing their faith. In fact, it's the opposite. They are standing firm in their faith. This is a healthy church with a vibrant faith in God. What Paul is praying is for the community to go. What he is praying is for the opportunity to go and lead a few Bible studies in order that they can fully understand the implications of the gospel on their lives. What Paul wants to do is teach them more of the good news of Jesus Christ and what the gospel means so they can be strengthened and encouraged. Then Paul prays in verse 12 that the Lord will, he prays for, in verse 12, that he prays that the Lord will make their love for one another increase and overflow for each other just as their love overflows for them. Now look, it's not. That the Thessalonians are struggling to love one another. According to chapter 1, they are a model of what a loving church should look like. What Paul is praying is that God will make that love increase and abound all the more. He's praying that God will give them the capacity to love even when it's hard. Paul is saying God increased their love even when they get dragged from their houses, like Jason he's saying God give them the capacity to love when even when people unfriend them on Facebook or spread vicious lies about them on social media he's praying that God will give them the capacity to love and increase their nature and love for one another even when people stain them and try to bite them and tell them how bad they are because of their faith in Christ he's saying God give them may that love increase all the more in this community this isn't the kind of love that you love your best friend or your family with what Paul is praying is that they love with the kind of love that Jesus has loved them with that is an agape love that is the word Paul uses here he's saying may their capacity to love sacrificially increase all the more because it's going to get hard They're going to continue. This community is going to be faced with so much opposition and so much is going to come against them. He's saying, God, increase their capacity to love one another. How often do you pray that for your church family? How often do you pray that for your brother's And sisters, God, increase our capacity to love. How often do you pray that for yourself? God, increase my capacity to love. Listen, as we struggle with bitterness, anger against things that were said and done to us, this verse also challenges us to pray for those people who have hurt us. Because praying can change our attitudes towards them. It can. Because it makes us more like Christ who prayed for his enemies. And then finally, notice The why of Paul's prayer. Paul is not praying for their circumstances to change. You would think that if Paul really cared for this community, he would pray that a part of this prayer would be God, deliver them from their suffering. Or deliver them from their afflictions, make it go away. Paul doesn't pray that prayer. Not that there's anything wrong with praying for people to be free from their afflictions and from their suffering. But Paul is a realist about suffering. He knows suffering in this life will come and he isn't praying for it to go away. Paul is praying for God to strengthen their hearts. In the midst of the suffering, he's praying for God to make them holy and blameless as they wait for the second coming of Christ. Because holiness is a mark of a church that is living in the hope of Christ's return. Christ is coming back. And he's coming back for a holy people, a church without spot or blemish. So when Paul prays for them to be holy, he's praying for them to continue in what they're already doing. and living the kind of lives that marks them out as distinct people of God. God continue to help them to love one another. He's praying that they would continue to stay rooted in God, that they would continue turning from their idols so that they may continually and faithfully love and serve the Lord. Because that's what holiness is. It's living a distinct life that believes that Jesus Christ could come at any moment. Likewise, GCB, this should be our prayer for one another. That God would act on our, on, on our behalf to do for us and in us what we can't do for ourselves. That we would increase in love and holiness as we wait for the return of Christ. And when we do this, it reveals just how much we care. For one another. A caring church cares because it's in our nature to do so. Aware that there are dangers of being bit and stung by others. It shouldn't stop us. It shouldn't change our nature to want to help our brothers and sisters growing and standing firm in their faith. We care Because Christ cared for us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for how you've changed us. Thank you for how you've made us new creatures. You have given us your nature. And that nature is to love and to care for one another. And so, Lord, I pray that we would increase in our love for each other and our selflessness and our desire to be together and in our prayers for one another. And help us to do this all the more as we await for the return of your son, Jesus Christ, to take us home. Amen.